Katie. I'm Erica. And this, and this is, is Book Talk. Okay. We're here. Welcome to Book Talk. We're barely here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we are recording this on Thursday. Uh, and, you know, we have not slept a lot. We have not. Nevada is still out. I mean, I don't even know. I have nothing. We still don't have a president. <laughs> we don't. Um, and yeah, anyway, so we're like half brain dead, but here we are. Book Talk. We're happy that you tuned in. Um, Book Talk's a weekly podcast where we read a section of a book and we talk about it. We're currently in the third section of uh, Luisa Luna. I almost said Alice Vega. Luisa Luna's <laughs> Two Girls Down. Yeah, so this week um, was a quick three chapters. It was really hard to stop reading after chapter nine. I was a lot of self-control to not flip forward and see what happened. Um, my sister had less self-control. She just finished the book, so, you know. Um, this week, in we started with chapter seven. Um, they, Vega, visits Evan Marsh. He's super weird, probably on drugs. Um, they have a questionable but long interaction. Um, in chapter eight, Vega and Cap go and interview the witnesses that the police have already talked to um, and get a couple key points, corroborating looks especially. Um, we find out that WT is in fact not the neighbor, but William Turner from Pirates of the Caribbean, an important twist. And then in chapter nine, we find Evan Marsh dead. So then we go to the police station and things escalate quickly. So... Erica, what did you think of this section of the book? Uh, I will say we have another mention of hot tea. <laughs> did we? We did. Cap tries to make coffee, and then he realizes that Vega doesn't drink coffee and goes, I don't have any hot tea. And she said, it's fine. <laughs> you and this hot tea. <laughs> I, I thought she was about to be like, it's fine. I'll drink coffee. Why would she, she do didn't. that? That's the opposite of the character we developed. That's not going to happen. What, exactly. It's not a thing. <laughs> She's nothing if not consistent. She also does her handstands. Okay, anyways, sorry. Um, okay, I feel like this these three chapters, we definitely move the plot along. I don't know, you know if we learned a ton about what's happening but it seems like we're getting closer uh so i'll start with my updated theory i think at least what vega is on to at this point is evan marsh is being sketchy she kind of notices that right away when they're having the conversation and she kind of gets him to reveal a little bit by saying like well what would you think why would someone send an email to look into your brother's disappearance like what type of person would do that and she's kind of prying out of him maybe his projection of what he actually did so their kind of theory, which I think sounds about right, is that perhaps Evan saw an opportunity to exploit his relationship with Kylie in order to turn the police's attention to his brother's disappearance. Because it seems like he has the impression that the police never really tried. They didn't look as hard as they normally would. And one way he could do this is to link the girl's disappearance, a very sympathetic um, disappearance, to that of his brother's and then turn everybody's attention to finding his brother. Right, because his brother was an adult who went missing, which we know gets much less attention than two little girls out of a Kmart parking lot. I think that theory is a little too, like, on the nose, a little too obvious. I also just feel like we're not, we can't, we're halfway through this book, so this is not going to be it, but it is, we are exactly halfway. It is interesting. That's definitely the path they're going down, but 
now I'm just like can't even envision what other twists could come because this isn't the end. It's not just Evan Marsh did it and someone else killed him. Um, so I think our other theory we discussed was that Evan Marsh did it, but he did it in conjunction with somebody else, somebody who maybe is a, a much worse or like a bad actor in comparison to even Evan Marsh, um, who possibly killed him. Bego's guess was also that his mom killed him. Yeah, it's unclear. So they say like, oh, the Marianne and they look at each other. And I'm I thought at first that that was what you're saying, which is, oh, they must think that she did it. But I think they realize we have to go tell her. Oh, that could that be she's it. now lost both of her sons and kind of he's realizing like, oh, no, like that's our next stop. But that obviously gets intercepted and they end up at the police station. Well, what if it's something like maybe Marianne Marsh, because she says like cancer is the last thing that Nolan Marsh gave her. Maybe there's some like tie to Evan, you know, intercepted the investigation or caused them not to follow up with Nolan because he was known as a drug dealer. I don't know. And now Marianne like is realizing that and killed Evan. I don't know. Probably. I don't see there being motive for that. Um but we don't know who killed him. The other thing that's interesting is when they are at his apartment, Vega does some, like, looking around. And it doesn't seem like she has any evidence that the girls were there. It would be very hard to have two girls staying with a young guy and to not find, like, any, like, residual right. evidence that like the girls were there. Like a scrunchie or something. Food. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Something in the bathroom, like toothbrushes like something like that but what they do find is uh two cups of coffee so someone was there and he had made coffee for them so he let someone in made them a cup of coffee and then it went awry so it's definitely someone he knew and was maybe in cahoots with i'm curious if it's gonna go back at all to alex cheney because we spent a lot of time getting to know him and the fact that he was a drug dealer and he also knew the girls so is there some connection between the fact that you know, Kylie knew him. Did she know Evan through him? Because the person that everyone kind of corroborates the like look of the guy that took the girls, everyone corroborates that person looks like Evan Marsh. Like that person is young, has the hat, same build. So I feel like it's likely at this point that Evan Marsh did take the girls, but it's unsure why or who else he was working with or what the end goal was. What do you think of the relationship between Evan and Kylie? Do you think Vega is onto something that there might have been like a romantic insinuation or maybe Evan was like toying with her? What do you think of that? Yeah, I think there's definitely something because she sees him and runs up to him at the car, like clearly knows him. But that's why I'm wondering if she is familiar with him through knowing like Alex Cheney or through kind of wanting that like trusting him like a friend and feeling like a grown-up or if there really is something romantic happening with her and Evan. He could be manipulating Kylie and the fact that she's maybe has a crush on him for his own good. I don't know that it's necessarily for his romantic interest, but for whatever he's trying to get out of this, he's definitely using that. That's what I think about them. Yeah, I think Alex gives me mastermind more like vibes more than I get from Evan. Evan, I kind of get like, Maybe he's more the suggestible one. He's also the one who seems more of the addict um, rather than the supplier. So maybe he's the one who's like in debt and needs, you know, money or resources or something like that. So he seems more desperate. Oh, yeah. And what if he like owes money? Mm, I think about that. 
okay, I don't know. He owes money. He has to do it to get back the money. But he also selfishly isn't that upset about doing it because he thinks it will lead the police back to his brother. So maybe maybe he like isn't normally this manipulative or a bad person, but he's in a bad situation. He sees kind of a good way out that could get him something and also probably assumes the girls aren't going to be harmed. This reminds me of Law and Order episodes where they like think that they found the guy like 15 minutes into the episode mm-hmm. and you're like, no, this can't be it. It's <laughs> way too early. Like we're halfway through the book. There's no way that this is as simple as Evan took her. Like there's no way. That's what I'm saying. It Like they're leading us down this path. No, they're like, yeah, they're like, this is the first of, well, this is the second or third of the twists. This is definitely not the last. So I'm interested to see like, I just want to keep reading. I need to know, like, what happened. I'm going to read it right after this. Luckily for you, we have four chapters next week. So thank goodness. very exciting. We'll get a little bit more plot. <laughs> so I think in this book, Vega is clearly, or in this section, Vega is clearly enjoying working with Cap, having somebody to kind of balance her. I feel like she almost feels protective towards him at times, but she also enjoys bouncing ideas off of him and kind of conceding some points so do you think she usually like teams up with somebody in local law enforcement or a local detective when she's working on these cases it would be smart if she did it seems like since that was like an early choice of hers like she might do that when she gets into a local um, location where she's trying to find someone to find someone who knows the area knows the people has connections who can like help her get to the right places But I do think we're seeing how they both work well together. You know, it's interesting, like, there's a lot you can learn from, like, a partnership and also just from a conversation. I know sometimes when I have an idea that's, like, stuck in my head, it sounds really good in my head, but I really need to, like, talk it out in order to have it really make sense. Right. It's kind of like our podcast. It is. No, I think that's exactly, I think it's always helpful to have somebody, especially if they're different than you or they process things differently than you, to kind of talk it through. And that's how she, I would say she probably does. And if she doesn't normally work with somebody else, she probably will from now on. This has been such a lovely experience with Cap. (laughs) I mean, good and bad. So we do see they're kind of bickering and fighting at times and also working together. Um, and kind of making little concessions along the way of like, okay, if we do this, then I'll do that um, for you. Uh, one of their big disagreements in towards the end of this section is about what to do with Evan's body. So she wants to like move the body, look for the exit wound, like get as much as she can from the scene and then leave. And Cap says, absolutely not. Like this is a murder, like a murder scene. <laughs> we need to call, we need to call the police. Like we can't mess around here um and they kind of bicker about that back and forth which makes me wonder um kind of what her past experiences have been with dead bodies because she clearly is I mean a little taken back but she's not really stressed about it and she is very comfortable she's like let me just move this shoulder let me pull my sweatshirt over my hand like she knows what she's doing and so I wonder if she hasn't worked kind of above board with law enforcement many times or if that traditionally hasn't worked out well for her so she kind of wants to just take matters into her own hands um I do think it's like a good thing that her and Cap are working together and balancing each other for moments like this like no this is a this is a dead body of a possible suspect like um no (laughs) yeah absolutely she needed that like she needed that check on that situation 
Uh, while she's with the body, though, she does have a flashback to, like, a past experience of finding someone who had died, who she was looking for. From that, I kind of got the insinuation that in her past, she may have been a bounty hunter. And that might be where she's gotten all of these skills of uh, finding people. So I've, like, made the connection. Like, she reminds me of the girl, the daughter from Kick-Ass, which is the Nicolas Cage movie where he raises his daughter to be this, like, badass superhero fighter girl. <laughs> where she, like, may have been trained from a young age to, like, find people to be, like, a bounty hunter. And then kind of decided to turn those skills to good to, like, help find the missing children. That might also explain why she has these kind of weird social things that she doesn't know. Like, when they're in the cafeteria with M, or in the diner with M. And he's, like, looking at her, and she's like, oh, yeah, please and thank you, please and thank you. Like, she has to remind herself that that's something you have to say. So there's something weird about her, like, growing up that she's, like, lacks these social skills. I still really hope we learn more about how she grew up and, yeah, how that all affected her and the way that she interacts with people. All right, I have a probably stupid question about bounty hunters. In my mind, what I know them as is, like, from the Jennifer Aniston, I think, movie – um, like they're people who find people who didn't pay their child support or didn't pay their court fees or have a pending lawsuit or a bench warrant or something like I'm I don't know that that specific job in my head would relate to how she got here. And also, why is her skip dead? Like that seems kind of alarming for somebody who maybe didn't like pay their court fine. So I feel like there's gonna be more to it than that than just a bounty hunter. But maybe I don't understand what a bounty hunter really is. Right, and it's also, like, is she actually a realistic bounty hunter or is she a made-up bounty hunter for this, for the drama of this thriller? Like, there's, like, Dog the bounty hunter who, like, actually finds people who, it, like, to what you're saying, have skipped bail, missed a court appearance, etc. And so then there's, like, money associated with finding them. And then there are, like, the stories of, like, this dark web of, like, people paying cash to find missing people or whatever. So it's not clear how like, oh, realistic her Okay, like a hitman is. more thing than like a bounty yeah, hunter. Yeah, exactly. Okay, like so a spy or something. Got it. So you're thinking it's like more fiction and I'm trying to figure out if she's really – okay, interesting. There are so many loose ends right now. I just like – this is the point in a book when I would usually just have to finish it because like there's – Must know. I need to know. Um, okay, the last thing I want to talk about is this extremely escalated meeting with the police. So they leave the apartment and they like need to call. Well, they need to call the police. The police come. They're going down to the station for questioning, which they kind of expect. She's like, no one wants to talk to us. A car pulls up. Um, they kind of get into it down there, and the police are mad that obviously Cap and Vega just happened upon a murder scene after they were like, get out of town. We don't need your help. Um, Cap is clearly getting frustrated in this section. I think it was interesting. I still go back to Vega being a very intuitive person, but in having this like perspective, she can, I feel like sense that Cap is getting, getting mad. Like it's building up inside of him. And we read about that and how, how he's feeling. And then she like steps in and is in Junior's face, just really escalating the situation. So, um, I think she kind of did that to maybe kind of put Junior back on his heels and to stand up for Cap, maybe kind of. But I don't know if there's more to it. Like, what do you think about the fact that she went in there and just really made it worse rather than trying to kind of calm the situation? 
I was so confused because <laughs> oh, I don't understand why she would escalate the situation to try and like it seems like it's not like she's trying to get him on the defensive to like back up. It's like she's intentionally like poking at the wound of like his wife sleeping with other people. Right. It's like such a masculine trope of like, oh, how can we piss off men is like insinuate that their wife is sleeping with someone else. But whatever she does. She also seems to like have this information already like right that's what i'm wondering like what does she know about junior that she'd already looked this up and had it in the arsenal and she knew that maybe at some point she'd have to use this like she she is on his wife's second facebook page knowing all this about her to be able to use against him so i wonder if she has like an alternative theory that in some way includes junior or she wants to escalate it and get him in trouble and get him off of this case i don't know but i think it's important that she doesn't calm it down I don't yeah I obviously that's that was a very deliberate choice on her end but I don't understand what it gains for them in this situation like they're on police property she's like egging him on to the point of like physical violence like he punches cap in the face like that's not going to end well and then still in the end they're still getting interviewed it's like she hasn't changed anything right they were going in to be questioned anyways right so like right it's the same situation now they're getting questioned I mean yeah, I don't know. It didn't avoid, like, they were already bringing them into the station, but maybe they were bringing them into the station as, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the point of it is, but I feel like there's a point. Maybe we'll find out next week. All right, so next week we are reading chapters 10 through 13. I can't so wait. To the end of 13, four chapters. I am excited. And then we only have a couple of more weeks left of this book, so... Yeah. We hope that you're holding off and reading it with us. But if you can't wait, we'll see you on the other side. <laughs> see you on the flip side. Yeah, we're a little over. We're officially halfway. So everything from here is like after the climb. It's going to get more exciting. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right, should we talk talk? Let's talk talk. So I forgot to think about what I wanted to talk talk about, um, but I did want to ask you what else you're reading right now. Right now, I'm reading Carrie by Toni Jensen, which is um, sort of like a memoir, sort of poetry um, about her. She is uh, an academic, like a fiction writer. She's also an indigenous woman, and it's kind of about like, the culture out west indigenous people like the erasure of that style of history and kind of what does it mean to grow up as someone who is like partially native american in 2020 so it's fascinating it's also like very relevant like modern day like she's talking about coronavirus and things like that so it's like really like hot off the presses um i'm loving it so far okay i need to read that next can you put that in my next book shipment Thank you. Yes. <laughs> um, what are you uh, reading? I am reading. I started Rodham last night, which I'm excited about that you gave oh. me. And oh I'm God, also. So good. I can't wait. Um, my I read like too much of it last night and this is also why I'm tired. And then also I'm reading The Nest, which is just like a book I picked up at Book Loft last week. A good before bed book. You know, it's like a family drama about um, this inheritance they're supposed to get and everybody's, you know, lives before and after it. Well, they haven't gotten it. They actually lost it. So um, I did. Yes, yeah, so I'm reading that book before bed. I needed a lot of 
anti-anxiety books this week. So do you want to talk about your experience on election day? Yes, I got to work the polls. It was great. I haven't even told you about it yet. No. So what did that like? What did you actually do? So I was a roster judge. So I check in and make sure people are registered to vote, that they're in the right precinct, check their IDs, get them set up, print their ballots. Um, Franklin County had this like we had set up the night before. I felt very confident. I learned how to use the iPad thing, you know, and then we get there the morning of and none of the iPads will sync and we had to go fully to paper. Um, So we and at one point the manager looked around and he was like, raise your hand if you were trained on paper, not one person. So then like frantically reading 30 pages of this book, teaching me how to do paper at 530 a.m. And then it took us till probably 930 while we were seeing voters to get everything under control. I did not move from that chair. It was very stressful. Um, Overall, though, I think it was extremely inspiring to see people. So you know they specifically place you at um, precincts with multiple party members because for anybody who has a disability or needs a curbside assistance, you have to have a representative from each party with them at all times. So, like, it was really cool to see people from all parties kind of working together and especially working to make sure that everybody could vote. There were, like, definitely some emotional cases where people, like, hadn't registered or this girl was her first time voting and she was not registered. She'd moved from another state. But we like, you know, the voting manager sat down with her and like walked her through a provisional ballot and like told her they could count it. And like she was still doing her part and that, you know, all these things. I feel like it was everyone just trying to make sure that everyone's voices were heard. And it was inspiring and a reminder that humanity really does want. I don't want to say humanity. Everybody wants the best for everything because we clearly know there are clear divides and people who do not want the best for everybody but there is a subset of people who believe in the vote in the vote and in the voice of the people and it was nice to see them from both sides so I'm so happy that you did that that makes me so happy I'm so happy that you canvassed like we're killing it I told everyone about you how was that I still tell everybody about it I think I felt the same way like you know I was super anxious about the election and you know I have more anxiety issues rather than depression which is like what can I do? I have to do something. I have to like be in control. And I, well, you know, I'm in therapy, but (laughs) (laughs) we love therapy. I was definitely kind of really panicked about the election and this week and how things would go. And I kind of decided to turn that instead into action. And I was definitely inspired by you and my other friends who were also volunteering. And so Dan and I drove down to Pennsylvania Um, we were a couple hours outside of Philadelphia and we just helped Democrats because I'm a Democrat. We helped them, uh, learn about where to go vote if they didn't know and what to do with their mail-in ballots. So a lot of the issues that are happening in Pennsylvania were anticipated. They had a lot of the issues happening in general were anticipated. Like this is not an outcome that we did not expect. Right. Yes. This is an outcome we would have called good a week ago. I just want to know. Right. (laughs) We knew that there were going to be delays with mail-in ballots. We knew that at this point, if you if your ballot did not get there by election day, that there was a chance they wouldn't count it, even though they had told people that it was okay prior to that. And we also knew that in Pennsylvania, they were not going to start counting absentee ballots until election day, which is not what happened in other states, which makes no sense to me, but whatever, that was the case. So our job was really to help people who had ask for an absentee ballot to know what to do with it now, which is most likely either take it to a Dropbox today, which this was last weekend, or bring it with you when you vote. And then also just like, do you know where your polling place is? Do you know that 
lines might be a little bit longer. Do you know you have to wear a mask? You know, kind of just basics. And that was also really nice just to like talk to people. Some people were more friendly than others, but nobody was like, you know, there were a couple of people who were like, I'm not voting. You know, both parties are awful and I don't care. And we were like, okay, well, that's not my job to change your mind. <laughs> um, the one thing I wanted to say also is I was on my friend Juliana Hazelwood's podcast. The oh, podcast yeah. is called Bedside Manor. And we talked a lot more about like my research and, um, you know, kind of like my perspective on how people as teachers or people who have a voice or people who provide care in kind of any way towards others, how they can make a space for people to feel authentic, how they can use their voice authentically. So check that out. It's also on Spotify. Oh, the other thing. So, okay, wait, I have one more thing. In terms of lamps, again, since we are obsessed with my lamps, and by we, I mean I'm obsessed with my own lamps, we found, and by we, I mean Dan, we found wow, a Mallard. Wow, this story. <laughs> we found a Mallard lamp. I'm obsessed. Well, are you? I will post a photo of both the lava lamp and the mallard lamp. Look at this thing. Oh! I love him. Oh, that's so cute. Book Talk is made by me, Erica Bailey, and Katie Cheney, with production support from Dan White. Our theme music is by Dan White. We'll see you next week. Ooh, and that line, ooh, was smoking hot when she was like, they probably hit the like button. <laughs> Do you want to finish this? No, because there wasn't a blank button. Is I don't know. I already made last week's episode explicit. I feel like I shouldn't make that a habit. <laughs>